Hi everyone, Steve here. Welcome back to the Natural Curiosity Project. I want to kick off this episode by reading an excerpt from a message that my guest, Darren Wassum, posted on LinkedIn. It speaks volumes about the kind of person he is and serves as a nice kickoff for today's program. Here's the quote. Thank you to everyone that has contacted me over the last several months to ask how I'm doing. I recently spent some time reflecting on this question while watching the sun disappear over the horizon on Lake Michigan. I felt at peace and at one with the moment. Sitting on a log that had washed ashore in a previous storm, I thought back over the last few months and took note of some important milestones. I had decided to retire from a career in information security and risk management rather than deal with the constantly changing corporate winds. I found the courage to not settle for the status quo. It would have been laughably easy to find a new position within a week of getting laid off and probably the safe bet. I was done with being safe. It was time to walk away from a three-decade career that I truly loved. Knowing that I had the full support of my wife and the financial means to retire, I took a leap toward my passion for photography and sound and film to explore the possibilities that laid before me. And in the process, I started a decidedly non-traditional podcast that focuses on natural soundscapes rather than the spoken word. As I take stock of everything that has changed since February of 2022, I am genuinely happy with my decision. I get to spend hours in the outdoors, and I'm learning new skills every day. The world of field recording and podcasting is welcoming and without pretense. I'm making new friends and contacts, and without exception, every person I have engaged with has been kind and generous with their time and encouragement. I would not change the last six months for anything. How's that for the power of sunsets and waves to reset one's soul? Wow, that is powerful stuff. Darren, welcome to the show. So let's start with this. Who's Darren Wassum? Oh, that, I mean, that is the question, right? Uh, I, I ask myself that all the time. Who, who am I? Uh, I think in a nutshell, my current phase of my life, I'm a field recordist and photographer uh, that I work on nature and wildlife uh, sounds around my area here in Northern Michigan. Uh, prior to that, uh, I was in the cybersecurity and risk management field for 25 years. And I also spent time as a soldier and as a student. Um, I, uh, I went student, soldier, student, and then uh, entered the corporate world at the age of 30 uh, and worked in, in IT until I was about 55 years old. And then uh, now I do this uh, essentially full-time. I have a podcast. Uh, I volunteer my time with Skigamog Raptor Center, uh, with dog rescues, and I, I feel like I'm busier now than I ever was when I was working a corporate job. As you know from our conversations, I love to interview people who have had what I like to call nonlinear careers. I mean, obviously, when you go from cybersecurity to wildlife sound recording, that's an obvious and natural transition. <laughs> <laughs> okay. How did that happen? Walk me through this. Sure. February 2022, my position was eliminated where I worked. Um, I'd been, like I said, in the information security industry for about 25 years at that point. Uh, I had to decide if I was going to go work for another company for a few more years until I wanted to retire. Uh, my retirement age, my goal I had was at 60, so I was five years away. And then my wife asked, you know, are, is that something I really want to do? And I think she knew that it wasn't, 
you know, I was at the stage of my career where, you know, I was very good at what I did, but it was, it was somewhat on autopilot too. You know, the, uh, the, the technology changes, but the, the philosophies and the, the programs really don't. And I was at the program level building security programs around risk management and, and, and that really never changes. Uh, so it's something I could go do somewhere else for another few years, but, uh, you know, did I really want to? And when she asked me that, I, you know, it kind of took me, you know, not by shock, but, you know, are you really saying that you would be okay if I didn't go back to work? And she's like, well, let's take a look at our finances. Let's see where we're at. And we had a pretty good idea. And, you know, and I, I did get a severance from where I worked. So that helped too. Uh, so she asked if you could do whatever you really wanted to do, what would it be? And, and she brought up photography first because I, I, I do a lot of photography and I used to do a whole lot more. And then we, we got on the subject of, of just being out in nature. And, you know, she mentioned that's, that's where I see you the most at peace, I guess, you know, you're really in your element when you're out in the woods or out on the lake or something like that. Is there something you could do with that? And I'm like, well, you know, wildlife photography is something, but boy, there's some really good wildlife photographers out there. And that's a tough market, I would think, especially, you know, here in Northern Michigan, where, you know, we, we have bears, we have deer, we have, you know, moose in the UP and stuff like that. But, you know, it's not like I can go to Africa or, or you know, go chase a musk oxen over in Norway. You know, I, I, I felt like my, my subjects would be fairly limited. And she's like, well, what about sound? You've always been interested in sound. You know, and I had a, I had a Zoom F5 or H5, I'm sorry, that you know, I'd had for years. And with the idea that I was going to record sounds, but I was just never really happy with it. So it kind of led me down a rabbit hole. And uh, so I spent probably two or three months just uh, learning everything I could about field recording. You know, and I, I knew it from just, I would take my phone and record sounds. You know, and I started doing that in 2012. The, um, and then with the, the Zoom H5, you just had the, you know, the stereo XY mic, not a lot of range, not a lot of sensitivity. So I, unless I was on top of something, I really wasn't able to record much. So I, I mostly used it for voice memos after that. But then I ended up, you know, buying some gear. I got a, a Zoom uh, uh, F6. Then I eventually got a Zoom F3, which I like better than the, the F6 just because it's smaller and easier to use. Uh, ended up buying some decent microphones and and just started. And uh, it's it's been going fairly well. I, I published my first uh, podcast. I, I think we'll talk about that later too. In in June of 2022, I keep thinking, yeah, this is 2023. Um, and then I think I'm at episode 35 today or 36. And so I've been uh, releasing episodes every week, mostly sounds here in Northern Michigan. And that's, that's been going really well. And it's really uh, attracting uh, some, you know, old friends and family, obviously, because, you know, friends and family always want to support what you do. But, but I'm meeting other people every week uh, that are either interested in field recording or are field recordists and have reached out for other reasons. And it's just, it's opened a whole new world to me. And it's something that I really, truly love. And I can honestly say, you know, I, I really love what I'm doing. And, and as I mentioned earlier, I'm busier now than I ever was in, in the corporate world, but it's, it's a really good busy, 
right? It's, it's, it's a stress-free busy. I feel like every week I'm producing something that I'm really proud of. Uh, and even on the, the weeks where I don't get the sounds I always want, I'm still proud of the effort that was made. I'm, I'm proud that I was able to find a new area that I hadn't been before. You know, I, I still go through all the motions of putting a podcast out for the public, you know, and I, I treat it as if that sound, somebody is going to appreciate it and, and, and hopefully take something from it. You know, even if I'm not 100% happy with it, I still need to go through that effort and, and make sure it's the best it can be and that people will, you know, it reso- it, that it will resonate with people. Yeah, let's talk about that because the podcast is Nature Is My Jam, which is great. I've been listening to it. I've gone back and listened to all of it, and and I really like it. You've set yourself a pretty aggressive goal, and that is to, if I'm not mistaken, publish one episode a week. It's hard. I mean, that's you know, this is not Disneyland. The animals don't sing on cue and and or whatever. I mean, I guess waves. Perhaps you can get you can always get them to cooperate as long as the wind's blowing, but. But that's pretty difficult. So tell me a little bit about the podcast and and sort of how you came to say, I'm going to do this every week. It's a good question. And so for me, it was, if I'm going to take this seriously and and pursue this as, and, I, and at this point, I'm just, I'm still calling it a serious hobby. But if I want it to be the best that I can make it, I, I need to have some goals and I need to have some and I don't want to call it pressure because it's not really pressure, but I know that every Thursday I need to have an episode ready to go. Uh, so that, that kind of shapes my, my entire week. You know, I, it, it forces me to look at the weather. It forces me to plan my location. Uh, it forces me to, if I haven't been to that location before, at least read about it, check maps, topographic maps, especially, uh, so I can get a, a, a lay of the land and and look at the terrain and see you know if if wildlife are in that area where would they likely be in this stretch of 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 terrain so i can do that Uh, i can check the the wind reports and and so i'm fairly well prepared by the time i leave the house and then when i get there you know it's it's where am i going to record or what am i going to record And, and sometimes i may have an idea if i'm going to Lake Michigan, for example, I know I'm either going to be recording waves, recording, uh, we have uh, dunes nearby, and maybe I'm recording the sand and the dunes blowing across, or I'm recording the rivers that empty into Lake Michigan. Uh, and other times, you know, I, I may come across, you know, I may see fox tracks as I'm hiking out and then spend some time looking around. Uh, and other times I have no idea what I'm going to record when I go and I just head into the woods and, and let it come to me. And and sometimes those are the the best recordings. Yeah, I mean, I've discovered myself that serendipity plays a big part quite often, right? I mean, you can plan. It's like photography. You know, if you go out planning to shoot a blue jay, you will see everything but blue jays, right? <laughs> right? And so, so to a certain extent, yes, you can kind of plan within certain bounds, but serendipity absolutely plays a role. Let's talk about that a little bit. You, you recently had an experience where you went out into the woods, and I don't remember if you thought you weren't going to get anything or if the area was fairly quiet, and yet you did end up getting a couple of really interesting sounds. Tell me about that. Sure. This is over at Sleeping Bear Dunes National Lakeshore, which is near, it's about 40 minutes from my home. And I spend a lot of time there. 
uh, in the, the particular area I went to, uh, it's called the Otter Creek Hiking Loop. Uh, it's part of the Platte Plains hiking trail there. Uh, and in that area, I've recorded uh, beavers there. I've recorded all types of birds, uh, uh, a lot of different sounds. Three days before that, for three nights in a row, I had been out and, and came back with nothing. Uh, so I, I decided that I was just going to do an overnight recording. So uh, you know, we call it a field recording, a drop rig recording, where you leave your bag, your recorder, a microphone, uh, battery, external battery, keep your recorder going all night, and you, you leave it unattended and, and you don't monitor it. Uh, so that's what I did on this particular night. And I hiked probably a, a mile back to where I, I placed one, one recorder. And I, I heard something in the water. I figured it might have been the beavers, but um, you know, it was pretty dark. It was, I don't know, 10, 11 o'clock at night. Uh, so I left, uh, came back the next morning, and as I was hiking back, I could see there was some activity. I could see some uh, beaver tracks where they had come out, uh, you know, their, their slide out of the creek. I could see uh, a lot of deer tracks, so I figured oh, I'll, I'll at least have some deer. But when I got home and started listening, uh, one of the first things, and I think it happened probably 20 minutes after I left, a, a tree fell, and it and it was a massive tree based on the sound of it because it, it came down. You, you could hear like three knocks right before it happened, almost like somebody was hitting it with an ax. But I think there were pressure knocks because this tree was getting ready to fall and it was just cracking. And it came down so hard that it just echoed all the way across the creek. Uh, and that creek, that, that point of the uh, is about 300 feet across. And it produces excellent echoes anyway, but it just resonated for several seconds after it fell. Uh, and then later that night, uh, there was a, you could hear a deer approaching the microphone, and uh, I recorded a, with a stereo mic, so you can you can tell the left right, so you could hear it approaching. It comes up to the mic, it gets really close to it, and then it it, it gets scared. It, and it takes off. So you hear it run away, but it doesn't keep running. So it, it comes back again. And then deer, when they are alerting others or they're scared, they will snort through their nostrils. But sometimes they'll do it when they're curious too. Because, you know, if they, they, they don't have the greatest eyesight. So if they sense something and they want to flush it out into the open, they'll do that snort as well. And I think that's what the deer was doing here. But that, that snort, really resonated as well. Uh, and that just echoed across and just and bounced back. It was just an amazing sound. Uh, and that deer did that for about an hour. You know, kept coming back to the microphone, kept snorting, uh, and eventually bedded down. Uh, that I didn't publish that part of it, but you could see when I got there where they had bedded down. Um, and I was surprised there wasn't more than one deer because usually they bed down together. But this this was a, a solo single deer that uh, just was really curious about that microphone most of the night. It was really cool. That same location is where I also recorded the beavers. That was a recording that um, I had. I knew there were beavers in the area, and that's why I set up the mic there. But I didn't know what they sounded like. I was hoping for a tail slap or something like that. Um, but you get this fantastic sawing, cutting noise that is so pristine and so automatic. Like th this beaver is just really dialed in on what they were doing that I almost thought it was somebody cutting a tree down with a saw. 
And it was like, is that a person in the middle of the night or is that actually a beaver? You know, and I, I, I researched beaver sounds and what they sound like, but I still wasn't convinced. So I actually drove back there and, and went back to that spot. And I looked for like, was there a human here sawing down a tree? But no, it was it was truly the, the beavers making that sound. And it was they, they must have been two or three feet from the microphone because it was just it was phenomenal. Is this important in your words? I mean, we everybody celebrates wildlife photography. They always have. Sound is almost a new thing in a lot of ways, but it's a powerful indicator of a lot of things. From your perspective, as someone who does this pretty seriously, why is it important that we go out of our way to listen to the sounds of the natural world? Sure. Yeah. So there's there's selfish reasons for me that I'll, I'll talk about first. Um, you know, I mentioned the first time I ever did it, that I was conscious of recording just for sound was 2012. And I was on Beaver Island with a group of friends. We were camping for the week. And uh, so I had taken my Jeep on the ferry over there and spent one day just driving by myself and and eventually came to this huge expanse of beach with, with no one around. And I was just watching the waves, but it was like the first time in, a, in maybe a years that I had noticed that I was, I was present. You know, I was there for that sound. And I took my phone out because I didn't have anything else. And I just hit record on my phone. And, you know, and I, I listened to it and I listened to it over and over again. And it was, like I said, the first time that I was conscious of listening just to the sound and the first time that I truly felt present in a, in a very long time. Like I was, I was in that sound. I was part of that environment. And that's something that stuck with me. And when I found myself being you know, overly stressed or worried about something, you know, I, would, I would go for a hike. Usually I would just walk through the woods and just kind of absorb the sounds. But other times I would just stop and sit and close my eyes and listen. And it's amazing for your health. I mean, your blood pressure drops, you, know, you, you start breathing deeper and like all the cares of the world just kind of melt away for that period of time. And so I've always kept that in the back of my mind and it's been something important for me. And, and, I, and I thought that others might benefit from that as well. The, the other side of that is we're living in a society where attention spans are short, people are busy, and a lot of things just go unnoticed. There's something fundamentally wrong with that, I think. You know, not that we have short attention spans or that we're, we're eternally busy. I think that's just us as Americans. That's just how we are. But taking just a few minutes to notice that. Uh, and then as, as progress occurs and, and people move to northern Michigan and, and, and encroach on vacant land and woods and fill that land with homes and cul-de-sacs and concrete, those sounds start to disappear. And that is something that 
you know, I, you know I, I, I worry about, and, I, you know, and worry maybe sounds like a strong word, but eventually those sounds may not be around and you, you, you have to go further and further to find it. There's a quote by Eudora Welty. Uh, she was a photographer and a writer in the, the, the 30s, all the way up through, I think, the 70s. But she said, one place understood helps us understand all places better. Right? And I may be paraphrasing that. So I understand northern Michigan. I, I love it. I can go into these environments and, and find sounds, typically. And I can find sounds that I don't think other people normally would listen for or know where to find. And so in a way, I get to help share my community and the place I love with others and help them maybe even understand their part of the world, knowing that going out into the woods or you know, even a, a city park, you're going to find sounds that you may not even knew existed uh, unless you went there. And that's, that's been a real goal of mine is to encourage others to do this as well and to head out and wherever it could be. You know, I know a lot of people live in large cities, but there's still places you can find sound. And I, I just think it's it's vitally important, not only for our emotional well-being and our mental well-being, but maybe it, it helps bring awareness to when we're doing this development, when people are moving to areas that we don't forget about what was already here and try to erase that from our, our history. Yeah, that's that's really important. That's a really important message. Um, one of the wildlife sound recordists that I enjoy very much, you may have run across his work, is a guy named Jacob Job, and Jacob did this, the Voices of a Flyway project, where he traveled from the Gulf of Mexico all the way to Boundary Waters and recorded along the way and interviewed people along the way. And one of the messages that came out of that, which I thought was kind of inspiring and balanced, I guess, was. Look, we're not trying to stop human activity. That that's silly. But, you know, he said things like, you know, I'm not saying don't buy a leaf blower, but if you buy one, buy an electric one. They're quieter, right? I mean, just just be a little bit more deliberate in in the sound, right? And and as an indication from a biological perspective, these sounds matter. I mean, they tell us things. You know, I, I often say to people when I'm speaking to kids about this stuff, I'll say to them, you know, nature's talking to us if we'll just listen. We can learn a lot from what's going on out in those woods out there. They're not quiet. They're very, very noisy, but it's a different kind of noise than what we typically typically experience, you know? Yeah, and that's, that's a really good point because, you know, we have, so we have dark sky parks and we, we have, you know, most townships and communities have light guidelines when you're building some, you know, new construction or any, you know, there's so many lumens that are allowed at various times and you know there's there's noise guidelines but it's usually around nuisance right you know what's considered nuisance so you can call the police and have your neighbor's dog stop barking you know they look at it that way but i don't think a lot of communities place a lot of emphasis on quiet and 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 quiet in the respect of eliminating or reducing to the extent possible just noise pollution you know, we're not saying the wildlife needs to be quiet, but, you know, can we, can we find corridors where, you know, it's, they're not major roads or flight paths won't go over this area, or can we limit the times that planes come in, uh, those types of things. And I don't know the answers and I, you know, and I don't want to stop progress either, but, you know, 
can we can we we at least consider some of those things to try to you know, have that quiet or those quiet spaces to be able be able to enjoy yeah it's all about balance isn't it i mean mm-hmm. you know we we all have a reason to be here but we also all have a responsibility to recognize that we're not the only inhabitants of this planet so you know let's let's keep that in mind as we go forward let me switch gears just a little bit um Tell me a little bit about a day in the life. So you mentioned that you do some drop rig stuff, but I also know that you do other things as well. Kind of walk me through what it's like to do what you do in a typical week or a typical day. So because I have the podcast, uh, there's a lot of things that go into that that is just beyond publishing the episode. So there's there's promotion of the podcast. There's uh, social media, uh, you know, just communicating, collaborating, uh, just being with other creators, other field recordists, or uh, people just that enjoy field recording. Uh, so there's that. Uh, every episode I publish, I try to write a minimum of 500 words. Uh, so that's that's one of the goals every week. Uh, I, I exceed that often because I tend to be a pretty wordy person. So there's a, you know, a day spent writing in that day, it would be you know writing the the first draft. And I usually have an idea of the theme for each week and, and the things I want to say. And then when I first started, though, and this goes back to why I started the podcast. After I my position was eliminated, you know, and it, it's usually it's nothing personal. It's just a corporate decision. But there's elements of that that you take personally, and it seemed natural that I would be kind of bitter, angry, disappointed. And I was for a long time. So I, I knew I had something to say, but at that point I, I couldn't say it because I was still just really bitter. And nobody just wants to listen to a, a guy rant about losing their job because that happens every day and people survive. So I wanted to get something out there. I wanted to publish something and the sounds just kind of became it. But through publishing those sounds every week in my show notes, I'm finding my voice more and more every every week. So, you know, I, I have discussed the thoughts and the feelings around losing that position, but I've also welcomed the opportunity that it's given me. And then as other people have reached out and 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 told me their stories or how much they appreciate the sounds and how much it helps them either sleep, reduce stress. Uh, there's one guy that listens every week on his lunch break. He goes out to his car turns that on, it takes a nap. And I think that's fantastic and that's great. And so I'm able to to talk to those people as well, you know, and talk about a little bit about mental wellness, a little bit about reducing stress. And I hope to talk a lot, or I do talk a lot about just getting out in the woods, you know, wherever you might be um, in, in whatever form you could do it. So that was a great way for me to get established. And now that I'm finding my voice, there's other themes I want to talk about. You know, I want to talk about environmentalism. I want to talk about conservation. I want to talk about how can we influence guidelines for communities. Uh, and I don't know those answers, and I'm not an expert. But you know, I have the time to dig into it, and I have the time to meet with people. So that's the direction I really think I'm going in the next few years. And I really want to expand the podcast. You know, to to at at some point introduce those topics. For right now, the podcast is just the sounds, but do I add my own voice to it 
in a in a vocal sense and that's a question I, I still kind of struggle with you know or do I just leave it to my writing every week and hope that my writing gets better and more compelling as I as I learn more so writing takes a day and it's generally um, I will will start that draft you know early in the week uh, just because I, I generally have an idea where I might be going and what I want to talk about that week and I, I kind of have that topic fleshed out uh, in a in an outline uh, then usually on Tuesdays is when I go record and I will, if I'm going to record where I'm going to be there, I'll leave early in the morning. Uh, and that's usually a full day. And I generally drive maybe 45 minutes to an hour to get to a location. Uh, I have gone up to the Upper Peninsula a couple times, but if I go to the UP, I stay there for a few days. So when I'm recording locally, you know, I will we'll go out there in the morning and I'll spend the day at that location. And sometimes it goes into the night if I'm not getting anything or I think maybe something will happen later in the evening. And there's some days like we talked about where, you know, I go on a Tuesday and I didn't get anything. I go on a Wednesday and I didn't get anything. You know, then I'm out there on a Thursday in the morning hoping to be able to publish something that afternoon. Uh, last week I did have to publish on a Friday because I just had to, uh, you know, that was an overnight recording and then it... Uh, it, it led to, you know, it was a complete change of what I expected to have. So I had to do a whole, a whole different write-up and everything. But that that's not the norm. So the norm is I would go record on a Tuesday, edit on a Wednesday, combine everything, and have it ready to be published on Thursday. Um, and then in addition to, you know, publishing to the blog at natureismyjam.net, uh, I also have to publish to my hosting provider, which is Buzzsprout. I put together a, a, a soundbite, an audiogram, for social media. Uh, and then I start putting that sound file for that week. I run it through a, a spectrum analyzer and after effects. And then I publish that on YouTube on Sundays. So it, it gets published in three or four different places and there's a workflow behind each of those areas. And I've also started to incorporate video uh, into the YouTube uploads, not just the, uh, you know, a static picture with the, the sound being played. You know, I, I am recording some video and I want to expand on that as well because I get questions every week and it's really amazing that people are reaching out and they'll ask, you know, how do you do this? Or how did you record that? What kind of microphones do you use? How do you hook them up? You know, uh, how do you, how do you leave a recorder overnight? And without it getting wet or worrying about it might be stolen or something like that. So I think there's some topics that I could probably cover in video better than I could write it out, if that makes sense. Um, and I think that'd be another way to really engage with people. There's some brilliant YouTubers that are field recordists and, and wildlife specialists that it, it's a really great community and a really welcoming community. Steve, you and I have talked before about uh, the, the photography world can be somewhat toxic at times because every photographer always thinks they could do it better. But in the field recording world, I mean, I could, I could email George Vlad as an example, who's probably one of the best field recorders that I know of, and ask him a question, and he's going to answer. You know, he will find a time at some point to answer. And it's really amazing that people are that open and willing to communicate. Uh, you know, if, if I look at our relationship, you know, you found me as a kindred spirit that enjoys field recording, enjoys photography, video, and, and also had a career in cybersecurity. 
you had no problems reaching out. You know, if I was to reach out to a photographer, you know, I might like hesitate because that's just the world it is, unfortunately, but not in the field recording and audio world. It's been really, really welcoming and, uh, and everybody's w just loves sharing their knowledge, which is great. Um, so I've really welcomed that as well. Yeah, you, you are a hundred percent correct. And I appreciate that. And, and it's, you know, we all, we all learn by sharing, right? I mean, uh, there's that great quote attributed to, I think it's attributed to Einstein, whether he actually said it, I have no idea, but you know, nobody knows as much as everybody. So why don't we collaborate? Why don't we share what we know? And we all, you know, the rising tide raises all boats kind of thing, right? I mean, we all benefit when that happens. Darren, I first ran across your work uh, at the website earth.fm, which is a site for sound recording that you and I both do some work for. And uh, that's how we got connected. And it's a resource that I think our listeners might enjoy visiting. Can you tell me a little bit about how your relationship with them got started? Shortly after I started publishing episodes of the podcast, uh, Catalan Zorzini from Earth FM reached out to me uh, and said he was really interested in what I was doing and would I want to have a meeting with him. Uh, so you know, being a fan of Earth FM, obviously I said yes. And uh, we had a meeting about a week later and he, he talked about that he, you know, he really liked what I was doing and would I be interested in, in sharing some of my recordings on the Earth FM platform. And I was flattered greatly, but at the time I didn't feel that I had any sounds that I felt were, were of that caliber to be on Earth FM. Uh, so I, I said I really believed in what they're doing uh, as, a, as a platform and their philosophy around bringing these sounds and, and opening up uh, local charities and organizations to be able to donate to those areas uh, specifically through the Earth, by, by virtue of Earth FM bringing acknowledgement to those charities and organizations. So I, I asked, you know, I, I don't think I'm ready yet, but is there anything else I can do to help out? And so he then introduced me to Melissa Pons and she curates the uh, a lot of the social media and manages a lot of the recordings. So she asked if I would be willing to take over the the Instagram account for Earth FM and, and publish five days a week uh, a, a 30 to 50 second soundbite of a field recordist and then uh, tie that back to the platform. So I've been doing that for probably six months now. And it's something I, I truly love, but that has just opened me up to another whole wide audience of field recordists around the world. Uh, and every day I get to talk to somebody new, but the, the mission of Earth FM really is to recognize and promote areas all over the world where field recordists are going and recording and, and sharing those sounds with, with a global platform and bringing awareness to those, those areas. You know, either through charities that support that, uh, efforts to increase forestation, to increase uh, access to lands, those types of things. And it's really a platform that promotes field recordists, has a voice for the environment, but does it in a way that I think is very inviting and very compelling. Um, and they've just recently started doing grants for field recordist in different areas of the world uh, to give them money for equipment, for education, for training. You know, we, we have whole swaths of the world that there's no sounds recorded. And, and how can we get into those areas and make sure, you know, 
something is is documented for uh, for perpetuity, so to speak. Uh, so that that's a new, very new program, and they are also uh, they're they're giving monetary awards for some field recorders for their their YouTube episodes, which are an hour or longer in length. You know, to to I guess incentivize a field recorders all over the world to to want to continue to promote their work in different ways. So it's it's a really excellent organization, and I know you're involved with them as well. Yeah, I write for them fairly often. And it's a really good resource. I mean, a lot of different recordists post their work there. Uh, I write essays for them. And I know that you, as you said, you manage the Instagram account uh, for the organization. The thing I want to observe here is that there are a lot of field recordists out there that are doing good work. Let me ask you this. In your mind, what is the state of field recording in terms of recording the sounds of the natural world? So, you know, given the title of your, your podcast, The Natural Curiosity Project, you know, I, I started thinking about that, and then a, a, a lyric came to mind from a, a band called Nickel Creek, and there's a line in a song called This Side that only the curious have something to find. That's resonated with me for years, and I, and I truly feel that way. Um, you know, we're, we're lifelong learners, and if you're curious and you're open-minded, you know, you're always going to be introduced to new opportunities. My reality when I started field recording was I just hit record wherever I was at. I didn't care where I was at. I was just really interested in that sound. I didn't care that there was traffic. I didn't care that it, maybe people were talking in the background or an airplane was going overhead. But then as I got more serious about it, that stuff really started bothering me. And I go through great lengths now to find places where that's not present. But then is that really reality? I'm altering reality by seeking these places out because it's not the norm. Not everybody can just go 20 miles in the middle of nowhere and record. And even if you do, chances are there's going to be a plane going overhead at some point anyway. So it begs the question, and it's something I've been, and I don't want to say I'm struggling with it, but it's something I'm keenly aware of now that is it okay to introduce man-made or artificial sounds into a recording and be okay with it? Can I record right in my backyard, as an example? And would that be acceptable? And, and, and I, you know, and acceptable in quotes, because you know, who, who determines what's acceptable or not? It goes back to my reality was fine when that's all I thought I knew. This is where I'm at at this point in time. These are the sounds I'm able to record. But yes, it is influenced by artificial environmental things, such as cars, people, airplanes. I don't think that's as pleasing for a listener. It's certainly not as pleasing for me, but that's that's the true reality. You know, so in a hundred years, if somebody goes back and, and listens to our recordings, are they going to think that there is no noise pollution? Because all we've ever presented are these pristine recordings that we were able to get. You know, what what's the reality of the the scenario and the situation? And, and how do we incorporate that into our work? So that's that's an area I somewhat struggle with, and I know others have too, because I, I it's been a topic in other podcasts and, and, and maybe even yours too, where you what is the state of field recording, and and how far do we take it, and how much do we alter it in terms of just trying to avoid noise pollution. It it brings up an interesting question, a kind of a quandary, which is that we kind of have two dueling arguments here that contradict each other, but they're both equally loud. On the one hand, you hear people say, 
we have to get away from this argument that says it's it's humankind against nature or it's it's us and then there's nature and the people that say no 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 we are part of nature we should be responsible as part of nature we should play the role that we play but we should also be cognizant of the fact that we're not the only game in town and then on the other hand we want to go out and record nothing but what we consider to be nature. Well, are we part of it or are we not part of it, right? Now, look, I don't want to record chainsaws. I'm sorry. That's just, that's not pleasant to listen to. But, you know, if I'm recording the sounds of nature and a little kid runs by and oohs and ahs about what they're seeing or hearing or smelling, I don't find that offensive. I wouldn't want a steady diet of it because that's not what I came out here to record. But it's a really interesting problem because is... As to your point, if you go 20 miles off the beaten track and you find a place where the only thing you can hear is whatever actually lives there, is that reality? Well, it's the reality for that place, which is fine, but it isn't the reality, right? I mean, there are multiple examples of that. I'm very transparent of my recording locations, and I know others are as too, but do we need to make an effort to say, you know, this is recorded when there is no, you know, during this recording, six planes passed overhead, and I'm only giving you the the 20 minutes where there was, where there were no planes. You know, I, I don't know how transparent we need to be in that regard, but it's something I think we need to consider. And you know, do we need to present a clearer picture, or is it okay to just find the best of a, an area and present that? Yeah, because one argument, of course, is that if all we do is create these these Disney-like portrayals of the natural world where there's no human sound, then when people hear them, their response is going to be, what's the big deal? There's obviously plenty of places you can go where you don't have to listen to people. And, and you and I both know that's not the case. I mean, that's, you know, those places are becoming vanishingly difficult to find. So we may be actually doing our own field a bit of a disservice. Yeah, I think I would be welcome to more communication and, and thoughts on that from, from anyone that might listen because it is a topic, and I think it's a worthwhile topic to really dig into. Um, you know, are are there are there guidelines? Is there a, you know, a textbook we can go to to find these answers? I, I don't think there is. But should we be documenting these these philosophical questions in a way that might shape or guide us in the future? Yeah, and there are some groups that do that. I mean, we have Quiet Parks International that was started or co-started by Gordon Hempton that's trying to find and, and preserve places and trying to create places within the national parks, for example, where planes don't fly directly over the park, you know, things like that. And I think that's a, those are worthwhile causes. That's a good way to do it. I think what we really need more than anything is greater awareness. I think we need, and this is what, this is our world. You and I are both in, in one way, educators, to try to get people to understand there's something very special about this. Let's protect it, not at all costs, but let's protect it. Let's give it a place because it matters. You know, we're not the only voice in town. Yeah, it's, uh, I guess, another topic for another day. I mean, I think we could probably spend hours trying to figure this one out. My friend Darren Wassum, nature sound recordist in northern Michigan. To hear more of Darren's work, please head over to natureismyjam.net. There you'll find links to the podcast of the same name, as well as connections to Darren's YouTube channel, as well as all of his social media feeds. You can also hear his work at the wonderful website, earth.fm.
I'm Steve Shepard, the host of the Natural Curiosity Project, and I just want to take a few additional seconds to thank you for the gift of your time. I started this program because I believe that curiosity leads to discovery, discovery leads to knowledge, knowledge leads to insight, and insight leads to understanding. If you've been a listener for a while, you know that the only thing that ties the episodes together is that each one covers a story that deserves to be told, and that each story is something that you should be curious about. I hope you enjoyed the journey we covered in this program, and if you did, please take a couple of minutes to write a brief review wherever you get your podcasts. I cannot tell you how much it means and how valuable it is to have those reviews. From my heart, thank you, and I'll see you in the next episode. Thank you.